Hello, and welcome to Criminal Mischief, the Art and Science of Crime Fiction. I'm your host, D.P. Lyle. This is Toxicology Part 3. Uh, we've already had Part 1 and Part 2, where we talked about the testing principles and some of the general principles of toxicology. This time, I want to get into some common drugs and poisons and toxins and stuff. Oh, my. I know that uh, crime writers love poisons. Uh, they even invade the cozy world quite frequently as with arsenic and old lace and stuff like that. But poisons are, are an integral part of crime fiction. So let's just look at some of the common ones and kind of learn a little bit about how they work and, 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 and how they're used and how they, they create mischief. Let's just start with alcohol, which is by far the most common. Now, ethanol, uh, all alcohols are basically derived from fermentation of sugars of various types. But ethanol is the drinking alcohol, and methanol is wood alcohol or denatured alcohol, and isopropyl alcohol is rubbing alcohol. They're all toxic. They all do different things. Ethanol is by far the most common, the most commonly abused drug. Uh, DUIs, uh, you know, crop up all the time. Accidents where people are drunk and driving. Uh, college kids who overdose on um, alcohol and die. It happens all the time. Uh, with methanol, uh, it, you don't see that so much anymore, uh, but it does. When you, when you drink it, it enters the, 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 in the liver and converts to, the methanol gets converted to formic acid and formaldehyde, and it can cause all kinds of stuff, a nausea, vomiting, and damage to the pancreas and the liver, and confusion, and brain damage, and blindness, and seizures, and coma, and ultimately death. I mean, wow, who wouldn't drink some of that? And then isopropyl alcohol also causes uh, acidosis, which is a collection of acid within the blood. Um, and you can have slurred speech and a staggering gait and poor coordination and nausea and vomiting and, and abdominal pain and sweating and fall into a coma and die. Uh, you can bleed into the lungs and into the gastrointestinal tract. Uh, so isopropyl alcohol is not safe. A lot of alcoholics back in the day used to drink everything from uh, Old Spice, uh, you know, aftershave, uh, you name it. I had a patient once that loved Aquavelva. Well, that's basically isopropyl alcohol, and you're asking for trouble. Interesting, it used to be when babies had fevers, and they would give them the water bath to lower their temperature, they'd add isopropyl alcohol. Well, that can get in a baby, because the skin is different than the adult skin, the alcohol can get absorbed into the system and you can really get into trouble that way. I want to talk something else about alcohol that I think is important. You wonder how these kids, you know, overdose, and it's really simple. Um, alcohol, when someone is um, takes in any chemical, alcohol included, there's enzymes inside the bloodstream and the liver and elsewhere that start destroying it. We talked about that in part one of this series. Uh, it, it, it starts destroying the chemical. And often it's dose-related, meaning that if you take a large dose, this system is revved up more and more enzymes and more things come in to destroy this thing. So if you take a small dose, it only recruits a little bit of this thing. It's kind of like calling up the amount of army that you need. Well, alcohol is not that way. Alcohol is metabolized in what we call a linear fashion. And what that means, if you take one ounce of alcohol or ten ounces of alcohol, the system is bang, full tilt from Jump Street. It runs 
at the top of the RPM meter from the beginning. In other words, there's no headroom. It does all it can do right up front, and it never can up its game. So in other words, if you drink more alcohol, the system cannot get rid of it any faster. So what happens? As you drink a lot of alcohol, you get intoxicated, you keep drinking, and then they go put old Joe to bed, say, well, he'll sleep it off and he'll be fine in the morning. But unfortunately, Joe's found dead in the morning because of what happened is this linear metabolism has been going on, but he's been absorbing the alcohol in his stomach faster than it can get rid of it, and it accumulates and accumulates and accumulates and finally accumulates enough that he stops breathing and dies. This happens in binge drinking all the time, and it has to do with the way alcohol is metabolized. Also in the news lately are the CNS depressants, we call them, they're the downers. They're the ones that make you sleepy and lethargy, particularly the opiates. Uh, Opiate deaths are huge news now, and and for all the proper reasons. Now, opiates are divided into three categories, natural, semi-synthetic, and synthetic. The natural opiates come directly from the poppy, uh, and the poppy produces morphine and codeine, and those are, are narcotics. Codeine is used in a lot of cough preparations. Obviously, morphine is, a, is an analgesic and sedative. It's also a highly abused drug, uh, as I said in one of the earlier uh, talks here that heroin is basically a byproduct of, uh, of, of, of mixing uh, morphine with uh, acetic anhydride and acetyl chloride and it produces heroin, which is diacetyl morphine. And then when it hits the body, it's almost immediately broken down into a morphine-like substance. So heroin is a semi-synthetic. It comes from the opiate but then it's chemically altered to be something else. It starts with morphine or codeine and then is converted to something else. And that's what semi-synthetic means. Um, others would include uh, oxycontin, oxycodone, oxymorphone, hydrocodone, the things that you've heard a lot about. Now, synthetic opiates are constructed completely in the lab. They, they don't start with an opiate, a natural opiate base. They're constructed in the, in the lab. Methadone is the best known of this class, and obviously it's used in treating heroin addiction. You addict the person to methadone and get them off the addiction to heroin, you know, so you trade one addiction for the other. Others are Demerol and fentanyl. Uh, barbiturates are, are, are derived from uh, barbituric acid. And they're known as hypnotics, in other words, sleeping pills. Uh, they're also they're like phenobarbital and secobarbital. Uh, and they also can be used as, uh, phenobarbital in particular can use as seizure control in people with epilepsy. But all of these drugs, alcohol, the opiates, and the barbiturates, uh, even the benzodiazepines, Valium and Xanax, that are a little bit safer but not all that much, particularly when they're mixed, uh, all of these drugs are sedatives. They're downers. They're CNS depressants. And what that means, CNS means central nervous system. And they work on the brain stem, which is where the respiratory center is. And if enough is taken, like the, the, the college kid that drinks too much alcohol, 
this area is depressed and the next thing you know they stop breathing and they die and they're found dead the next morning. Then there's the CNS stimulants, the things that rev up the system. Uh, one of the principles of most of these things is what's called tachyphylaxis. What that means is that as you use it, its effects diminish. You get used to it, if it will. So you have to increase the dose. This is very common with amphetamines and cocaine and stuff like that. And by far of the stimulant drugs that are out there, the most common are the amphetamines and cocaine. Um, amphetamines uh, are also sympathomimetics. What that means is they mimic the sympathetic side of the nervous system. This is your fight or flight system. So in other words, they rev up your attention, they make you nervous, they make you sweat, they increase your blood pressure, they rev up your heart rate. In other words, they get you ready to run from the bear or fight the bear. But obviously this is artificial because, well, there's no bear. They also uh, give you a sense of euphoria and high energy, and this is why they're so addictive. But with tachyphylaxis, you got to use more and more and more. Cocaine is, is classic in this. Now, it has, been, it has caused seizures and strokes and heart attacks and deaths uh, that are too numerous to mention. Um, someone once said that back in the old days that cocaine's proof that you're making too much money because it was expensive. But it morphed and it changed when you can start mixing it with a little soda water and whatnot and make crack cocaine. Are, are, you know, you, and you can smoke it and inhale it and then it becomes very highly addictive because then it is immediately absorbed into the bloodstream smoking something is essentially like injecting it IV because the lungs have a direct connection to the bloodstream it's microscopic, it's one cell layer thick and bang, anything that's in your lung and your alveoli of your lungs the little air sacs immediately jumps into the bloodstream just like a needle was pushing it into a vein so crack cocaine became an epidemic and, and, and highly addictive very quickly uh, hallucinogenic drugs well they can cause uh, hallucinations and delusions now what's the difference a delusion is a belief system that has little or no basis in reality but, some, but there is at least a stimulus the person might believe that they're being watched or monitored by that neighbor or a boss or their spouse or that someone's out to get them and whatever. And they have this delusion that the car that drove by their house was actually the FBI keeping an eye on them. Well, there's a stimulus, but it's misinterpreted. Hallucinations are sensory experiences that are not real. They don't have, they don't need a stimulus. This all comes internal. You see stuff that's not there. You hear stuff and feel stuff that's not there. Uh, alcohol withdrawal can, can lead to these things and, uh, and the various psychoses that are associated with delirium tremens or DTs. Um, we've all seen them in medical school. Trust me, it's very common. But uh, the hallucinogenic drugs we'll talk about can cause these experiences where you create things in your mind that have no basis in reality whatsoever. They're not a misinterpretation. They are a creation. So that's the difference between delusions and hallucinations. The most common are the cannabinoids, which is marijuana. Tetrahydroxycannabinol, or THC, is the active ingredient for the most part. Uh, 
marijuana used to have concentrations of two, three, four percent. Boy, that has jumped through the roof lately. Hashish, uh, the hash oils and stuff can be 12, 14, 15 percent of this stuff. So they can really, you can, you're not sure what you're getting when you use this stuff. But most people think, you know, you, you get your mellow when you smoke. But remember, these are hallucinogenic drugs, too. The cannabinols can cause delusions and hallucinations and all kinds of stuff in proper doses or excess doses. Um, and interesting, the test for it's usually a urine test, and it can stay positive for up to 30 days after using it. So the toxicologist, that's one of the problems they have is uh, how do you... How do you determine if the active, if you, if there's enough of the active ingredient in the bloodstream that's bioavailable to interfere with the person's thinking and acting and doing? And this is one of the problems. Uh, the field sobriety tests they use and 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 for drivers are often will unmask this type of of uh, intoxication, but not always. And there's no good test like alcohol. You know, if you breathe into an alcohol uh, tester uh, and you do a breath analyzer. It is dead solid, identical to the bloodstream. Because, again, as I said, the lungs and the blood are almost tied together. You can't fake a BAC, a blood, a blood alcohol test. You can't fake a, a, a respiratory test. They are accurate. They are extremely accurate. And, you know, you can hyperventilate before you do it. You can do all this stuff. You can chew gum. It's not going to make any difference. You're going to fail the test. Another group are, are the 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 cactuses and the mushrooms. Now, peyote is a small cactus mostly grown in Mexico, and its active ingredient is mescaline. And uh, it has it was a lot more popular 30 years ago than it is now, but trust me, it's still around. And then there are the magic mushrooms, you know, that's everything from gray slick and uh, white rabbit uh, on up to modern time. And psilocybin is the active ingredient there psilocin and psilocybin and they're called psychedelic or psilocybin mushrooms and uh they uh they are hallucinogenic and people can get really 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 wild hallucinations on this uh see alice in wonderland or listen to white rabbit um lsd obviously lysergic acid diethylamide lsd and phencyclidine pcp or angel dust now, uh, both of these are, are highly hallucinogenic chemicals, and that's what uh, uh, that's what they were used for in the 60s and 70s. You know, uh, the Moody Blues, 25 or 6 to 4, uh, is all about LSD, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, LSD. Uh, you know, all of these things create these um, uh, hallucinogenic events. And that's why people use them, you know, to turn on, tune out, drop out, all that stuff. Timothy Leary. Um, Vencyclidine, or angel dust, is a different animal. It can produce a severe acute psychosis with paranoia and very violent behavior. It's like acute paranoid schizophrenia. It is, when I would see patients with this back in the particularly the 70s, I never thought I'd see a drug as bad as this until, of course, methamphetamine came along. But these people are out of control. They're usually brought in after getting beat up by the police because, well, they have attacked the police with a 2 by 4 or something, seen it more than once. And 
they come in completely out of their minds, completely uncontrollable, shackled hand and foot, still spitting and biting and cursing and kicking and yelling and, and I mean, completely crazy. And one of the interesting things about this is that acute schizophrenics, one of the drugs that was used for many years to settle them, to make them controllable, to get them off the ceiling, as it were, uh, was Thorazine. Now, if I gave you an injection of 10 milligrams of Thorazine, you might not wake up for two days. You might not wake up at all. It could kill you. Just 10 milligrams. These people require 200 to 250 milligrams to bring them back to Earth. So there's something really different in the biochemistry of acute paranoid schizophrenics. Well, guess what? PCP people require the same amounts. 10 milligrams won't touch them. Um, so it becomes very treacherous treating these people. You can also over-sedate them, and they can hurt themselves, and they can for sure hurt you. So PCP was a very dangerous drug. I'm glad it's not around so much anymore, but it's still out there. And lastly, we come to uh, a class of drugs uh, in this category that are psychoactive drugs that are collectively called the date rape drugs, and these are very, very, very treacherous. Um, I get asked these questions all the time is how do you how does a how does a person control another person you know how do they you know how does the bad guy take the person they want to abuse and get them away from everybody else well you know you can use opiates and alcohol and all that but then you got to throw them over your shoulder and carry them out and that typically attracts some attention well with these drugs you don't have to do that you slip it in somebody's drink. It's tasteless, odorless for the most part. They drink it. They're happy. They're giddy. Maybe, you know, their friends think they're a little intoxicated. They met this cool guy like Andrew Luster, and they go off to his place. And the next thing you know, they're raped or murdered or both. Um, and it's because these drugs absolutely erase memory, and they make the person very suggestible. They will, oh, sure, let's go do that. Sure, yeah, okay, fine. And their friends don't recognize the level of impairment that's going on. That's what makes them dangerous. Rohypnol uh, was the, the most popular one for a long, long, long time. It's no longer uh, manufactured uh, or legally available, but it still is brought into the country. Um, and uh, they were called roofies and all of that. And, and they, you could slip a little bit in somebody's drink unknown to them and the next thing you know they walk out the door and they're never seen again uh, GHB very commonly used for this thing it's also one of the rave drugs but it can make you very empathetic and very suggestible and very forgetful like you don't record these data um, and and even you know so you get you get raped and you're taken home and you know something went wrong but you have no idea what you, you have no details you have no memory for it at all because memories aren't formed under these drugs ecstasy same way ecstasy is also called mdma and and x and e and you know all this stuff and, and it 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 can cause exactly the same effects it is a highly abused rave drug though uh, raves aren't as popular as they used to be they're still around but people use them for partying and fun and all of this and then there's ketamine which really makes no sense to me whatsoever because ketamine was uh, was devised as a general anesthetic it came into being when I was in medical school a long 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 time ago uh, and it's rapid acting and it can be given by injection or it can be smoked 
they sprinkle some of it on a, they dry it out and sprinkle some of the white powder on a, on a, on a joint and smoke it. Uh, obviously, it's a general anesthetic, so it can kill you. It can uh, absolutely uh, make you stop breathing and drop your blood pressure and kill you from asphyxia just like uh, heroin and morphine and all that can. Um, it, it is a general anesthetic. But it also does something else. It causes a, a, a lot like PCP can do this also. It causes what's called a dissociative effects, which means that the person dissociates from reality in some fashion. They call it going into a K-hole. But it's often the person will sense themselves floating above what's going on and watching everything that's going on, including themselves. Now, near-death experiences and cardiac arrest and during surgery and all this have had similar experiences where you're hovering up in the corner of the room and you're looking over what's going on below you, including yourself. It's really a weird syndrome, but it's called a a dissociative or a depersonalization syndrome. Uh, PCP does it and uh, ketamine can do it. And uh, the rave goers and the partiers uh, like this stuff. Others uh, that are often seen in crime novels, of course, are cyanide. Cyanide, sodium cyanide, and potassium cyanide are both uh, uh, powders. Hydrogen cyanide is a gas. That's the one that uh, was used in the, the gas chambers and executions. And you're thinking, okay, cyanide, that must be hard to get. No, actually, you can order it on the Internet because it's used in metal plating and jewelry making. And so you can buy it from uh, pharmaceutical supply houses all the time. Now, a lot of the time, it's, the poisoning with it is accidental because, I mean, if you just touch it, it can absorb through the skin. If you lick your fingers, it, it gets into the GI tract and the acids, they're converted into hydrogen cyanide and you die. And it can be deadly very, very, very quickly. Strychnine. You don't see strychnine so much anymore, but uh, uh, the snake handlers, <laughs> the holy rollers, as we called them growing up in the South, and uh, my book, uh, uh, Original Sin, this, my third Samantha Cody book, deals with the with the snake handling uh, community. Well, they drink st- strychnine because they think it, it, it they're not going to die and it makes them better, but uh, it doesn't. The thing about strychnine, and what's horrible about it, is is it is a neuromuscular toxin. It interferes with the transmission of neurologic impulses, and the body adopts a posture known as apostatmus. And what this basically means is it's an arched back, and the person's all the muscles of their body start contracting at the same time, and the body becomes stiff and arched so that literally the back of their head and their heels are on the floor but everything else is off the ground in a C shape and they can it interferes with breathing it interferes with everything and they die from asphyxia and it is a horrific death interestingly because of this profound muscular reaction and I won't bore you the details it can cause rigor, rigor mortis very quickly what's called cadaveric spasm Again, this is all explained in uh, Forensics for Dummies and uh, How Done It Forensics. But it has to do with, with the depletion of ATP, the energy-producing molecule in the, in the muscles. And that's what produces, uh, that depletion is what produces rigor mortis, the, at least the spastic portion of it. And these people can go into rigor mortis instantly. 
mushrooms. Now, we talked about hallucinogenic mushrooms, but guess what? There's the amantotin or phalloidin mushrooms that are even more deadly. They're called the death cap mushrooms. And you hear about people dying from these things all the time. They go out in the woods and pick mushrooms and, well, mushrooms are mushrooms. Well, not exactly. You've got to be able to identify these guys because they will kill you. And they're very treacherous for for one main reason. You ingest them. You feel fine. You feel great. You had a great meal. You get up the next morning, you feel great, you go to bed that night, you get up the next morning and suddenly all hell breaks loose. Nausea and vomiting and your liver is dead and soon you will die. There is a delay of anywhere from 24 to 48 hours in the onset of symptoms after someone has eaten these mushrooms and all too often by that time, the damage is too severe to, for any medical intervention. So when you eat these mushrooms, you may feel great for two days, and then suddenly you become very, very, very ill. So don't eat wild mushrooms unless you really know what you're doing. Uh, we talked about lead and arsenic and all of that stuff uh, in, in an earlier talk, and I won't go into that again, but... but, but Arsenic and lead and mercury are also used in uh, homicidal poisonings, particularly arsenic. It's still around. Ethylene glycol is a very interesting toxin, and it's used all the time. You will see a case or more every year of somebody poisoning someone with antifreeze, and that's basically what it is. Now, ethylene glycol breaks down to several compounds. We talked about the how that happens, the metabolism of drugs. But the most important is oxalic acid. And when it enters the bloodstream, it reacts with calcium in the blood to form calcium oxalate, which then is filtered out by the kidneys, and the kidneys are just absolutely wiped out by this. Uh, And you find these oxalic acid crystals in the kidneys at death. The thing about ethylene glycol is it's very sweet. It has a sweet flavor to it. So you can add it to food or drink and no one will notice. Alcoholics back in the day, I remember many of them in medical school, they loved to drink antifreeze. And so they would come in with ethylene glycol poisoning all the time. And some of them would wipe out their kidneys and, you know, ultimately die from that. Uh, And others would survive and just be damaged goods. But because it tasted sweet and because it had a little alcohol-like you know, burned to it. Alcoholics loved it, but it's a, it's used in both fictional and real life poisonings all the time. Insulin. Insulin, of course, drops the blood sugar dramatically and destroys the brain. And, um, the brain requires constant oxygen and constant nutrition in the form of uh, sugars. And when you give someone a big dose of insulin, the blood sugar drops dramatically. The brain is damaged and dies, and you either end up with brain damage or you end up dead. And insulin is available. It's out there. Uh, millions of people have it in their home. It's available in hospitals, and many, many of the angels of death, so to speak, have used insulin as their murder weapon of choice. 
the famous Klaus von Bülow case with Sonny Bülow. Insulin was involved in that. You can look that up and, and read about it. But insulin is a deadly, deadly, deadly product. But it is used in, in murders, both fictional and real, all the time. Succinylcholine is the last one I'll talk about. Succinylcholine, or sucks as it's called, is a, is a paralytic drug. Now, it, it, it paralyzes all the muscles of the body. The person cannot breathe and literally cannot bat an eye. But they are awake and alert. Now, that is a horror story. You're laying there. You know what's going on. You're perfectly cognizant. You can hear everything. You can't move your eyes. You can't bat your eyes. You can't lift a finger. And you feel yourself dying. This is horrible. The famous Carl Coppolino case that put F. Lee Bailey on the map is uh, involves succinylcholine. Uh, so you can Google that and look into that. It's a fascinating story. But here's the problem. After its injection, it's quickly broken down. And one of the byproducts is succinic acid and all this. But all the testing that has been done is very controversial. Uh, using the test we talked about, GCMS, uh, doesn't, uh, there's controversy as to how accurate it is in determining this in a living person or a dead person. Um, so... Succinylcholine is used in the hospital all the time. It's used in anesthesia to paralyze someone. If someone has what's called status epilepticus, meaning that they're having seizures that absolutely will not stop or respond to medications, sometimes you have to paralyze them and put them on a ventilator while you figure out why they're having the seizure. Is it a brain tumor? Is it an infection? Is it trauma? Is it uh, just an electrical problem that needs to be fixed? Uh, and you have to take control. So this has been a rather long discussion on many of the common drugs, poisons, and toxins out there in the world that are used in crime fiction all the time. And I hope that some of, these, uh, some of this material can help you plot your own stories. Uh, you can look each of these up. And as I said, Forensics for Dummies and How Done It Forensics has a, lot, a whole chapter on all these things, basically, And if you want to read more about it. So this has been uh, Criminal Mischief, the art and science of crime fiction, and your host, D.P. Lyle. So until next time.